Welcome to High Cheese. It's Friday, December 15th, 2023, 10 days before Christmas. And there's so much that happened this week. And let's just get right to it. The first topic I want to cover is the impeachment inquiry vote that took place this Wednesday. So the Republicans formally voted on the impeachment inquiry. So initially, they had an informal impeachment inquiry led by James Comer. And now the next step is this formal impeachment inquiry. And then this is ultimately going to end with the impeachment of Joe Biden. Now, there's reports out there that said this impeachment should take place sometime in March, April of next year. But this is what uh, Kevin McCarthy did to the House by leaving early and orchestrating the ouster of George Santos. Um, It makes the actual impeachment vote that much more difficult. Because the Republicans control the House with such a narrow margin, it makes it that much more difficult to vote for the impeachment when you're missing two Republicans. And because politics is fluid, you don't know if that's going to be attempted before McCarthy's and Santos's replacements get into the House. Now, the other question is, where are these replacements going to be as far as impeaching Joe Biden? So this is where McCarthy did not do the House any justice. Just makes it that much more difficult to impeach Joe Biden. But with that said, I want to just uh, twist Hunter Biden. And Hunter Biden was indicted on tax evasion charges, and he was also subpoenaed by the House for closed-door testimony. So Hunter tells the House Investigation Committee to go pound sand. I'm not going to testify before you and closed doors. I want to testify in public. And he had a semi-press conference yesterday, and I'm going to go to a couple of clips. A lot of you probably heard his semi-press conference, but he didn't take any questions. But he told them to just go pound sand. He goes, I'll testify in open. You know, it's just going to be a political scam if he testifies in public. So getting back to Hunter, it's, I'll tell you, it's, it's hilarious about this guy. Here's a guy that has made tens of millions of dollars, blown nearly a million dollars on hookers and drugs, wrecked his own life, has been taking care of his father since day one, and he's out there saying he's the victim, and he's just going back to the progressive playbook. Because remember, it's just the oppressors and the oppressed. And Hunter Biden, who has been given everything by his father, has been able to make tens of millions of dollars. He's the oppressed. And it's comical. So with that said, let's go to a couple of clips, and uh, then we'll come back and discuss. But I'm also here today to correct how the MAGA right has portrayed me for their political purposes. I am first and foremost a son a father, a brother, and a husband from a loving and supportive family. I'm proud to have earned degrees from Georgetown University and Yale Law School. I'm proud of my legal career and business career. I'm proud of my time serving on a dozen different boards of directors. And I'm proud of my efforts to forge global business relationships. Oh, really? Such a loving family. You know what Hunter did after his brother Bo died? He started dating his sister-in-law, his brother's wife. He started dating. It's some kind of loving family. He tells you he's proud of 
getting into Georgetown, Yale Law. You shouldn't be proud of that. He got him because of Joe, his connections. Then he tells you he's proud of his businesses that he started. Again, the only reason he was able to start those businesses is because of his father's name. And what he fails to tell you is that some of those business relationships were forged with America's enemy, China, and places like Burisma in Ukraine, where his father, as vice president, had an immense amount of influence. But he's all proud of that. He should be proud if he did it himself, if he went out, took a step away from his father, and created this all on his own. But he didn't, because it served him, and it served his father. So let's go back. For six years, MAGA Republicans, including members of the House committees who are in a closed-door session right now, have impugned my character, invaded my privacy, attacked my wife, my children, my family, and my friends. They've ridiculed my struggle with addiction, they've belittled my recovery, and they have tried to dehumanize me, all to embarrass and damage my father, who has devoted his entire public life to service. And what Hunter is trying to do here is just continue with Joe Biden's theme that there's something wrong with MAGA. MAGA is a threat to democracy. And he talks about MAGA dehumanizing him. MAGA has not dehumanized Hunter Biden. He dehumanized himself. We just acknowledge it. And we also acknowledge that Washington has done its darnest to protect you and to protect Joe Biden. Remember the laptop? Remember the 51 spooks that said it was Russian disinformation? So don't give me that. I don't want to hear that. You've got the whole entire Washington establishment trying to protect you, trying to protect a man that dehumanized himself. Now, look, he's a drug addict. He still is. I'm sure he still is. But there's been so many people that have been on drugs that got their life together. Why not you? Look at RFK Jr. He was addicted to drugs. He got his life together, and he's running for president. And there are millions and millions of people that got their life together. But you can't because you're so arrogant. And to continue this arrogant, he knows that ultimately, whatever happens, his father is going to pardon him before he leaves office. So he's always got that to lean back on, and he knows it. And he's also arrogant to think that he can control the terms of a subpoena. He can't. If the subpoena says you show up for closed-door sessions, you show up for a closed-door session. You don't ignore it. But again, here's a guy that knows that ultimately he's going to be pardoned for whatever he does. And then he's got the nerve that, to say that his father Joe is a longtime public servant that served for the better of government, for the better of the United States. So tell me, how did he accumulate so much wealth, so many assets on a government salary? Tell me that, Hunter. So let's go to one more. Let me state as clearly as I can, my father was not financially involved in my business, not as a practicing lawyer, not as a board member of Burisma, not in my partnership with a Chinese private businessman, not in my investments at home nor abroad, and certainly not as an artist. And this is where he gets cute. 
He says his father had no financial interest in his business. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that Joe Biden didn't invest money in your company? Well, he still benefited from your operations. So it's a little shiny object that he wants you to look at. He's trying to change the narrative. And this is where the coordination with the White House came with this uh, press conference. Now, remember, initially, Joe said that his son did not do business with China. Well, he lied. And then Joe said, I knew nothing about my family's business ventures. Well, that's a lie. We know that. And now Joe Biden had no financial interests in Hunter's companies. Well, he certainly benefited from them. And then I think it was a little comical when Hunter said, oh, Joe knew nothing about my artistic ventures. And this is how out of touch with reality that this guy is. I think in his mind, he, he truly believes he's an artist because of his talent. And that's where it gets comical. And again, it's because of his own arrogance. So where do we go from here? Now, the, the House can bring him up on contempt charges. And at that point, let's see what the Department of Justice does. Are they going to pursue the same charges that they pursued against Steve Bannon? Or at what point do they bring these contempt charges up? Maybe they'll wait when the timing is better. But my own recommendation, at some point, the House has to bring them up on contempt charges, then throw it into the Department of Justice's hands to continue to expose the corrupt DOJ. Now, there's a possibility that the, the Department of Justice will pursue charges against Hunter for this contempt. Because, you know, as I said in my last episode, that, you know, you got to read into how they're handling Hunter Biden to show where the deep state is with uh, Joe Biden. And this whole fact that Hunter's being brought up on federal felony charges for tax evasion, among other things, and the fact that now the Department of Justice could possibly pursue the same charges that they used against Steve Bannon. And if they do, we'll really know that the deep state is not with Joe Biden. But Hunter knows in the back of his mind, whatever happens to him, he's going to get pardoned. So we shall see. Now, in a related topic, the attorney that stonewalled Hunter Biden's IRS investigation, she left the federal government. And if you can remember that Initially, Hunter Biden was going to give it a sweetheart deal. He was going to be given future immunity, essentially a slap on the wrist. And a couple of whistleblowers came out and said that, hey, look, this isn't kosher. We were stonewalled. And this one attorney, Leslie Wolf, she was the one that stonewalled this investigation. She was the one that prevented them from looking further into Joe Biden. So let me read an article here, and it's from the New York Post. And it says here, a federal prosecutor allegedly interfered in the criminal investigation of Hunter Biden to protect both President Biden and his son recently left the Justice Department, the Post has learned. Former Delaware assistant U.S. attorney Leslie Wolf's quiet departure emerged as she appeared for a deposition with the House Judiciary Committee on Thursday morning, following the Wednesday night House vote to formally authorized the impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden over his role in his son's and brother's foreign business dealings. Wolf's starring role in the alleged cover-up is the criminal tax fraud and lobbying investigation is a significant part of the impeachment inquiry. 
with whistleblowers saying that she discouraged asking witnesses questions about the big guy or dad, referring to Joe Biden, claiming there was no specific criminality to that line of questioning. So she served her purpose. She's probably getting her payday now. She's probably with a big legal firm or lobbyist group, and she's going to get her payday for being corrupt. And again, this is how Washington works. So I'm sure there'll be more to this, so uh, we shall see. So Volodymyr Zelensky paid a visit to Washington this week because his $60 billion war package is on the ropes. Now, what the Republicans have done to hold it up is to link it with border security. And the Republicans want a massive change in the border policy that is being implemented by the Biden regime in order to get the $60 billion package for Zelensky approved. And I'll get into that later. I'm not even sure that it's even worthwhile to get the Biden administration to change its policies because we know that they're likely not going to implement it anyway. When you have a guy like Mayorkas in charge of the border, how are we to know any change in the law is going to be implemented by the Biden regime? So they've got to be very careful if they ultimately give this package to Ukraine for changes in our border. Because as I said, it's, it's not worthwhile to change all these rules and regulations surrounding the border if they're not going to be implemented. And I have no confidence that the Biden administration is going to implement any changes that Congress made, makes to the border. But Zelensky came here. He thought in his own arrogant way he could conjure up support. And he spoke to the Senate in a private session. Apparently, a couple of senators just walked out. I know that uh, J.D. Vance just walked out. And then he met with some of our military, and he, of course, met with our defense contractors. But it didn't go well. And he's likely not going to get this $60 billion this year. Likely not next year. And he shouldn't. Because it's not a democracy that we're protecting. And again, remember the narrative that we in this war, oh, we have to protect democracy. Well, you know what? It's not a real democracy over in Ukraine. It's run by a bunch of oligarchs. It's always been in the top one or two most corrupt countries in the, in the world. And the narrative at first, oh, we have to protect democracy. And then the whole narrative about Ukraine winning, that fell flat. And then the whole narrative changed. Oh, we have to just weaken Russia. We've got to kill all these Ukrainian people just to weaken Russia. That's the policy. And now the spin is that if we don't give Ukraine this money, Russia's going to go into Europe, which is totally absurd. And again, the neocons out there are writing that, oh, this is a disaster. We have, they're going back to square one. We've got to protect democracy. And they're merging that with the fact that, oh, if uh, Russia wins, they're going to go into Europe. Just, just throwing anything at the world to see what sticks at this point. And we know what Zelensky has done. He's banned opposition parties. He's banned the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. He's banned elections. Now we're finding out that the Ukrainian government is assassinating people, assassinating civilians, as well as holding a journalist, an American journalist in jail. You don't hear a peep about that from the Biden administration. And here's what gets me about all this money that we've given Ukraine. I think it's... I think it's about $120 billion so far. And with that, we've been funding their pensions. We've been funding their government. We've been funding their war machine. We've been funding their border. 
But the real part that really bothered me is that we were funding their pensions. Now, let's take a look at Social Security. Now, Social Security over the years has created this vast amount of reserves that they can spend off of. But now we're at the point where they've got a negative cash flow from the money coming in from people working and the money going out to Social Security recipients. And I'm specifically talking about old age Social Security. And right now there's a burn rate of about $20 billion a year in Social Security. That means that the money, there's $20 billion less coming in than that is going out every year. And that causes them to draw down on the reserves that they have accumulated. And actuaries have come out and said, look, we're going to get to the point where we're going to run out of money in 10 years, 2034, 2035. And at that point, all Social Security recipients are going to get about a 20% reduction in their paycheck every month. Now, don't get upset because I think it's an easy fix. You know, you can patchwork certain things together in order to increase the life of Social Security. But it's going to involve raising taxes on the extreme wealthy and increasing the retirement age. Not too much, but increasing the retirement age for younger people. But here's what really gets me. Social Security has a burn rate every year, say $20 billion. It's a little more than that, but for to make it a little easier, let's say $20 billion a year that it burns. So all of the money that we've given Ukraine could extend the life of Social Security by about five or six years. And this $60 billion that we want to give Ukraine could extend it in another two and a half to three years. And these people in Washington just want to make this a continuous war. And that's what really bothers me. We're paying the Ukrainian pensions, but we're forgetting about Social Security. And that money that we're giving Ukraine could really be used to shore up Social Security. And that's what the whole bizarre thing about this Ukrainian mindset that I just find mind-boggling. What is it that we're trying to do in Ukraine? Who are we protecting? And why is Ukraine such a gem that we do have to protect it? Because we have no vital national interest in Ukraine. So what is it? We've, you know, initially stories came out about biolabs that were in Ukraine. That was initially denied by the Biden administration. But during one of the hearings, it came out that, yeah, there, were, there are biolabs in Ukraine. It's one of the top child trafficking centers in the world, and it's run by a bunch of oligarchs. It's not a democracy. I'm not pro-Russian on this, but we don't have a vital interest over there, particularly when you take a look at what this money could be used for over here. It's just disgraceful. But this isn't being done to benefit the people on Social Security, the people that are going to go on Social Security, the young people that plan on having Social Security. It's all about lining the pockets of the people in Washington and keeping their power and keeping their globalist connections in power. So Zelensky went home with nothing in his pockets, and that should be it. Somebody's got to sit Zelensky down and say, you've got a soup for peace. Time to do it now. Because I just saw a report here that up to 300,000 Ukrainian soldiers have been killed. Zelensky also plans on allowing people over 40 into the army right now to fight. So it's time to settle. 
I've said from day one, this is a mistake. It's not going to end well for Zelensky. So let's do it now. Instead of getting all those poor Ukrainians killed and Russians for our own war machine over here. So we shall see. Okay, I want to talk about Trump's criminal case in Washington and how this is just a blatant, among the three other criminal cases, but these are just a blatant effort to interfere with the 2024 election. Now, the one in Washington is the one that concerns me because it's in Washington, D.C., and the jury pool hates Donald Trump. I think it was 95% of the people in Washington voted for Joe Biden. Democrats today just hate Trump for the sake of hating Trump, just for the sake of hate. And that's what concerns me. So Jack Smith, the special prosecutor, as well as the judge, Chuckkin, they're doing everything they can to have this court case take place before the election. I think they said a March, early March date. I think it's March 4th, March 3rd or 4th. I think it's March 4th that they want to start this trial. And they want to make it quick, and they want to get a conviction before the election. That's what this is all about, just trying to kneecap Trump. So what happened is, is that Trump's lawyers petitioned Chutkin, the judge, who was appointed by Obama. They petitioned the judge to throw out the case because, hey, I got presidential immunity. And you know, essentially what presidential immunity is, is that, look, any president is immune to being prosecuted for things that he did while he's in office, within reason. I'm sure if uh, a president murdered somebody while he was, uh, or she was in office, uh, the rule wouldn't apply. But Trump's saying, hey, anything I did on J6 falls under presidential immunity. So Chutkin, not surprisingly, said, no, I'm not going to hear that. I'm not going to throw out the case based on that. So Trump appealed it to the appeals court. Now, the problem with the appeals court is that that can take a long time, particularly if the appeals decision doesn't go Trump's way, and then he appeals that to the Supreme Court. And before this process plays out, it could be past the election, something that Chuckkin and Smith don't want. They want it done right away, right before the election. So Trump appealed it to the appeals court, and Smith knew that once it hits the appeals court, it's likely it would never come back to them until after the election. So what he did, he, he petitioned the Supreme Court to essentially say, hey, look, jump the appeals court process, take this on, on your own, make your own decision on this. Because in his mind, this will speed things up. He may be able to get a decision from the Supreme Court that will allow him to have the trial before election day. So what the Supreme Court said, yeah, we'll take it. We'll consider it. Now, what happened, it's kind of backfired on Smith and Chuckin because now Chuckin, the judge, is required to put a stay on the trial. No more proceedings on this trial until the Supreme Court comes back. Now, we don't know how long it's going to take the Supreme Court to make a decision on this, and it was a desperate attempt. But, but as I said, it kind of backfired on Smith and Chuckin. So now this Mar March 4th date of the trial is now pushed out somewhere where we don't know. So we'll see. And now there's exposure by Smith on this because this entire thing could just backfire on Smith because the Supreme Court can come back and say, well, wait a second, he's immune. 
And that essentially throws so much of their case against Trump out the window. Now, some people are speculating it's a way that Smith can get out of this. He knows he's got a loser in court. Now, I don't think so, because I still think that the jury pool is going to convict Trump. But maybe in his mind, he doesn't think so. So he wants out. Let the Supreme Court make that decision so I could just wash my hands of it. But Trump has good lawyers, and kudos to Trump's lawyers on this. And it's going to make things very interesting in the future. And it's something we have to keep our eyes on. Now, quite frankly, I don't know, because it's such an unheard of request by a prosecutor to do this, no one really knows how long the Supreme Court is going to take to make this decision. So we shall see. So there's another case that the Supreme Court is taking up that could have an effect on Donald Trump's criminal trials. And let me just read from the New York Post here. And it says here, the Supreme Court announced Wednesday it will examine its case involving the January 6, 2021 Capitol riot that could spell trouble for the federal charges against former President Donald Trump. At issue is the case of Joseph Fisher, a former Pennsylvania police officer who allegedly got physical with an officer on the grounds of the Capitol and called on rioters to hold the line. A lower court had dismissed the charge of obstructing an official proceeding against Fisher and two other defendants, Edward Lang and Garrett Miller, ruling it didn't cover their conduct and that the men had to take some action with respect to a document, record, or other object. The D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals restored the charge in an April ruling, which Fisher's legal team appealed to the high court, arguing their client only entered the building after Congress recessed and was only inside for a brief period. Prosecutors have slapped obstruction of an official proceeding charges against at least 315 rioters, as well as 77-year-old Donald Trump, who faces up to 20 years in prison if convicted on that count. So, this is one of the charges that uh, Smith is charging Trump with. And if the Supreme Court decides that this does not meet the threshold of obstructing an official proceeding, well, a good part of that case against Donald Trump by Jack Smith gets thrown out. Now, another repercussion of this decision could be all of those J6ers that have been charged, convicted of obstructing a proceeding. So this is, can have such a dramatic effect on those that have already been convicted, as well as those J6 political prisoners that are facing these charges. So it's good that we keep an eye on this, and we shall see. You know, any form of racism is bad. Any form. And unfortunately, this DEI program that many corporations are pushing results in racism. And with that said, I want to go to a clip, and it's with uh, James O'Keefe, the investigative reporter. He had come upon a Zoom meeting with the CEO of IBM telling his managers that their bonuses will be based on how many minorities they hire. And he actually goes as far as saying, we don't want any Asians. We have enough Asians. So let's go to this clip and then we'll come back and discuss. 
IBM Insider has provided us with an internal video showing the CEO of IBM, Arbin Krishna, using coercion to fire people and take away their bonuses unless they discriminate in the hiring process, which appears to be a violation of Title VII. This comes on the heels of IBM pulling advertising from Elon Musk's ex, with IBM saying they have zero tolerance for discrimination. Quote, IBM has zero tolerance for discrimination, and we've immediately suspended all advertising on X while we investigate. And here's the CEO making those threats. So we take underrepresented and gender. You got to move both forward by a percentage. That leads to a plus on your bonus. By the way, if you lose, you lose part of your bonus. I'm not trying to finesse this. So for blacks, we should try to get towards 13 point something percent. On Hispanics, you got to get into the mid-teens. So let me say it. Asians in the U.S. are not an underrepresented minority in a tech company. This is insane. This is just flat outright discrimination against Asians, as well as white people. It's clearly implied that we don't need any more white people. And in light of the Supreme Court decision that said Asian Asians were discriminated against when admitting students to Harvard, this is absolutely insane. And you know what's interesting is that this would have been denied, denied, denied by IBM if this Zoom meeting wasn't recorded and given to James O'Keefe. And I just find it so ironic that they pulled advertising from X because they think Elon, Elon Musk discriminates. And they're doing it right here. No Asians need apply. One, it's IBM. No Asians need apply. They're actually saying indirectly no whites need apply either. And with that said, I want to talk about the non-white holiday party that was thrown by Boston Mayor Michelle Wu. And the only reason people found out about it or white people found out about it was that the invitations were inadvertently sent out to white council people up in Boston. And here's the arrogance, and here is the stupidity of her response. She wasn't apologizing for having a non-white holiday party. She was apologizing because white members of the city council received the invitation. And I am telling you, this country will not be able to move forward unless we become colorblind. And this is the forces that we're fighting today because the far left, the progressives in this country, want to divide us by race. That's what they want. That's part of their agenda. They cannot thrive when all people are created equal. They can only thrive by division with race. They don't want the motto of this country, out of many, one. They want division, racial division. They don't want this country unified. And this country is going to have a hard time moving ahead with this kind of mentality. And that's why we have to fight the progressives. That's why we have to fight the far lefts, the communists. Because this is what they want, racial strife. Holiday party for no whites, for non-whites. That's just flat out wrong. I guess they weren't aware of the Jim Crow laws that discriminated against black people. But it's okay to discriminate against Asians. It's okay to discriminate against whites. Okay, the Defense Department budget was passed this week in the House, and I think the total was $886 billion. Now, one thing I just want to remind you, included in this $886 billion is $300 million for Ukraine, and that's over a two-year period. But don't let the media, don't let anybody tell you that Ukraine's not getting anything. They're just not getting that $60 billion in that 
supplemental disaster. Now, there's a lot of conservatives that weren't happy with Speaker Johnson because he had kept a lot of pro-LGBTQ alphabet policies in the Defense Department. And the other thing that was also disappointing is that he extended uh, FISA for another four months, and that thing's got to go away. This is the law that they used to go after Trump. This is the law that allows them, uh, the deep state to spy on you. But Johnson extended this for an additional four months. And quite fr frankly, personally, I just think it should wither away or be reformed to death. So I'm a little disappointed in Johnson this week. So we shall see. And with that said, thank you very much for listening. You have a good week. And I will talk to you next Saturday.